Well, all summer we are in this teaching series that we're calling uh, Touch Points, and it's quite simple. It is based in this desire uh, that I think all of us share, which is that we would not just know about God and the things about God that we see in the Bible, but that we would actually know God, that there would be a sense of um, intimacy there, a transcendence beyond just the philosophical, but like some real uh, presence. And, uh, and so this is about encountering God on a personal level, again, beyond just what we know about him, but more in a relational space. I think one of the driving verses for us is just this very simple statement from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.10, where he just says, I want to know Christ. And that word is not just a knowledge of, but an intimacy with um, Christ, wanting to know um, God's presence. And all of us go through these times, I think, when the presence of God seems far off. You may be in that uh, place right now. And when the room of faith goes dark, um, that can be a difficult thing. And it's difficult. It's different for everyone. You know, like uh, for some, the struggles of life bring about a new faith, a renewed sense of faith. For others, uh, when life is going well, when life is very ordered and balanced, there can also be a renewed faith. And of course, the opposites are true as well when things go south. I don't know why we say south. Um, when things go north, um, uh, when life uh, takes a turn, faith can also take a hit. And even when things are going really well, faith can be something that is jettisoned um, at the moment. But the blessing in the struggle, however, is that for thousands of years, um, the church has paid close attention to a number of regular practices and habits uh, that have given shape and intimacy to people's faiths. And this summer, we're reflecting on those. And today, um, we've talked about various things, but today we're talking about the table. We're talking about communion. It's a piece of our service um, that we celebrate each and every week. So we're going to talk about that, the communion or the mass or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine or the artisanal Welch's grape juice that we pour for you every Sunday. And the communion, again, as I said, is something we do every week. And so this morning, I want to help us reflect on what it is, uh, what it means, and how we might encounter Jesus in receiving the bread and the juice. And the text I want to use this morning were really both of the ones that were read, but mainly the story that Brian just read for us. It's an Easter story. I don't know if you picked up on that. Um, it's actually the same gospel that was read on the third Sunday of Easter this year. And it's this um, story that is one of the many different resurrection stories that we find in the gospels, especially in Luke's gospel. And, uh, but this one has a very interesting um, touch point for us. Some background, and maybe you, it's not a very difficult story. You, could, you probably know this as I say. You go, yeah, he just read that. Um, but it involves these two, what I would say are very tired disciples, uh, not really in the inner circle of Jesus, but part of the broader followership that he had uh, with people. And um, they're kind of tired because Jesus has been murdered 
and now there's these weird stories circulating that he had been raised from the dead or at least was still alive. Um, and so they're headed home from Jerusalem uh, to Emmaus. And as you saw in the text, you know, seven or eight miles away. And there's this lament in the air among these travelers. It's confusion as well as they've both just lost their teacher, but they've also heard accounts of a resurrected Jesus. And if you're normal, nobody believes that. You know, why would you believe that? And so this was a pressure point and a kind of crisis of faith for them. But I do love how the story unfolds because Jesus sort of slips into the caravan and starts talking to these two disciples, but they don't recognize him, which is a weird resurrection theme in the Gospels. So there's something different about Jesus that we're not like privy to. Um, But Jesus asks them what they're talking about, which he already knows what they're talking about. It's like the youth minister moment where he just sort of what are you guys talking about? Other than the sex you just had uh, that you're talking about to your friend, what are you guys talking about? Um, so maybe that's just from personal experience when I was a youth minister. Um, your dad's an elder, right? Let me make, let me make a phone call. Um, but he slips into the caravan. He, he asks them what they're talking about, which is kind of funny. But then they basically spill the tea on the troubled situation And then two things happen in the story in short order. Luke does not spend a lot of time on this that I want you to notice. And the first is this in verse 27 of the story. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. So as they're walking, Jesus starts to do this education moment with them about the scriptures. And we don't know what he said or how he did this, but Jesus reshaped their understandings, or at least tried to uh, reshape their understandings of the scripture and how they pointed to himself. And this was new stuff. I mean, you can see this in some of the New Testament writings where people like Paul and others are rereading the Old Testament in new ways. And so this is what Jesus is doing. And, uh, and so that's what he does. And what they do in the moment is that they ask him to stay for dinner. This is a highly hospitable culture. And so the, the standard practices and procedures were, if the sun's going down and someone's traveling, you can keep them in your home for the evening. Um, but he begins with teaching them the scriptures, and then they go into the home. And then there's these two verses, verses 30 and 31. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now, what I want you to notice in this verse is something that you hear in this room in some way, shape, or form every week. You can hear the communion liturgy in, this, in these words, right? He took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to them. It's a reference also to the Last Supper, you know, where Jesus is doing this with his disciples, his close-knit disciples, breaking the bread and giving it to them. And this story would have really resonated greatly with the first readers um, of Luke's gospel because it describes two of the main things that they were doing in church. 
in Christian worship, something we call word, scriptures, and table, communion. And so even in this Emmaus story, we see a touch point to what was happening in Christian worship at that time. There was exposition of a text, and then there was this moment of communion at the Lord's table. Um, I have a couple of lengthy quotations. These are not for you to remember, but just to hear in the moment. But this one comes from um, second century um, Christian philosopher Justin Martyr, and he talks about the Sunday service. Now, he uses the word president in this, and this refers to me. just want you to know that. I look for other versions with different titles, but I just like, I like the word president. Um, Lowercase. Okay. He writes, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place. And I want you to hear this part. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Word. He goes on. Then we all rise together and pray, and as we before said, when our prayers ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the president, in like manner, offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability, and the people assent, saying, Amen, and there is distribution to each, and participation of that over which thanks has been given, and to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons." So you can see very early that word and table are just a part of what the church is doing. I do love the part at the end where, like, they send communion to people who weren't there. Uh, When I was working as a youth pastor, we all took rotations, and we had these, like, portable communion kits and just a list of people, not people who were skipping church. I would still be doing communion uh, to those people. But people who were sick or in the hospital or homebound or whatever, we would take uh, communion to them. And we actually do that here as well. And so uh, there are people in this church that go over to people's homes uh, that are unable to be here because of some physical ailment or whatever, uh, and they serve them communion. And the stories about that are always just so beautiful. I mean, just uh, a very simple, innocent moment of taking the bread and the wine to them. And the word is about knowing, and the table is about encountering. And what's, what I love about the Emmaus story is that it's, it's kind of a story of our faith, our life of faith, that we walk out our days in faith so often in confusion and distraction. And in the story, it's the moment of communion around the table with Jesus um, that becomes like this anchor, not just for the disciples, but for the church as well in the future to come, that it's, a, it's this anchor in the rough currents of our lives, that the communion is a moment of encounter to remember some things. Things are peaceful at the communion. So I want to close just telling you three things about communion. Um, I could say more, but just three, because it's July 4th weekend. Number one is this, that the table is 
a place of memory, but also the future of hope. In the first reading from this morning, Hannah read these words from 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until what? He comes. So at the center of our faith is the story of Jesus' death and resurrection and the bread that has been broken or fractured, as the scriptures imply, is a symbol and a reminder of Jesus' ongoing, uh, uh, of Jesus undergoing the very human experience of life, but also death, in death in the most terrible of ways. Um, we break the bread before you get here, but in some churches, they break it in front of the whole congregation, and you can hear it fracture. It's a beautiful moment. And receiving communion is about remembering that part of Jesus' life, that he lived and he died. And also, receiving communion doesn't really require that we understand this sort of sacrifice completely, because we never will, but it does invite us to feel the weight of the moment as much as we are able, and to be mindful of what it means that Christ has died for us. So there's that piece, but Paul is very quick to say, but there's a hopeful piece too. It's laced with this hopeful future when he says, until he comes. And so the task uh, of the church when they take communion, when you take communion today, is not just to remember the death, but we're doing this in a season of hope of Christ's return. It's been said of the church that the task of the church is to remember the future. And in our culture where we uh, are so focused on our past or uh, the pasts of other people or the ways that life has been lived either recklessly or victoriously, like it's all retrospective. But the church comes together to remember a future, amen? That what's happening in the moment is not all that there is, and it doesn't have the last word. And so Paul was like, we do this not just to remember the death of Christ, but the return of Christ. There's a future to be hoped for. And so the table is a place of memory, of past, but also of future. It's also a place of unity. Um, The table reminds us that God is very interested in actual community, that the table represents a shared space that's filled with a diverse collection of people, that we're united at this table not through our political or social or economic ideals, but by the invitation to join with all of God's people, near and far. Churches all over the world are doing this today. And when you take the bread today and dip it into the juice, like you're doing that with people who don't even speak the same language as you. It's wonderful to think about that. But also to think about the collection of people in this room that are walking forward to take this. The practice in the earliest Christian communities was that communion was actually a meal. You probably heard that in Hannah's uh, reading. I love that you guys laughed at certain points. Um, It does my heart good that you can see humor in Paul, okay? Um, But it was a meal. It was a shared feast. I mean, I feel like the apostles would come into our churches today and go, this is it? 
this is what we're having, you know? Um, maybe they wouldn't, but I think they probably would. Um, and it was a shared feast for anyone who came. And one of the reputations that the ancient church had was that anybody could be in here. It's a mix of people. And uh, it's interesting and beautiful. But it acted as a reminder of Jesus' own meal practices with people during his life. Um, of him eating and sharing the table with all kinds of different people. And it served to be this communal bridge between all the various classes and groupings of people. When we eat together, we are in those moments one. And when you line up and walk down here to receive communion, you're in line with people who are quite different than you. I know you. You don't know everybody, but I, I know a lot of you. And there are people that you will stand in line today that don't share certain beliefs and convictions about this or that. And I think that's great. I just sort of laugh inside if they only knew that what that person behind them thought about X, Y, and Z. And yet, we all come to the same table. And the table is for everyone. And in our procession towards the bread and the juice, we announce this kind of renewed pledge to continue to lower the walls of division. Amen? It's not just a ritual. It's a statement about who we are. And finally, the table is a place of celebration and welcome. Throughout the scriptures, there's all these images of tables. And in every single instance, the table is seen as a positive image. There's never an instance when the table is a place of acrimony or judgment, but always a place of welcome and rest. Think about the 23rd Psalm. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my what? Enemies. It's this image of peace in a moment of hostility. In heaven, in so many of Jesus' own stories, is imagined as a feast around a table. And so when we come forward, we are told these words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. These are words of celebration. Um, I'm not sure why communion is so quiet in here. Um, if you're a server, say those words loudly. I can't even hear you. You know? You're speaking the gospel. You're saying something that's really amazing, and you're like, body of Christ broken for you. <laughs> Maybe you grew up in a church where like communion was like, zip it, everybody just goes forward, you, you flagellate yourself, you're terrible, and uh, you take the bread in humility, yes, fine. But like, these are words of the gospel. Christ has died for you and covered all of that. So speak up today. I'm not getting on your case. I mean, you can whisper if you want. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't really know why it's so quiet. <laughs> I feel better now. It's, it's been years of sitting right there going, it's, it's the best news, you know? Body, body of Christ. <laughs> Again, I don't know the Apostle Paul personally, but surely he's like, seriously, come on. 
And with celebration really becomes this, comes this practice of welcome. And, um, you know, we practice an open table here. Everybody can come and take. And church traditions vary on this issue throughout history, but there's really no scriptural mandate to close the table. Uh, and if we're just looking at Jesus as an example, it's not even on the radar. All are invited, and there is a seat for everyone. You know, the standard practice in most of our churches is we don't invite or prohibit. It's your call. You're always welcome. You're welcome to pull up a seat at the table. The church is an invitational environment to come and sit at the table with Jesus. Amen? The only request I had when we bought this building um, because I'm colorblind and I'm not good with design and Lindsay's like, I got it. And um, I put my two cents in, but I was like, I want the red doors. That's my call. And um, so my dad painted the red doors. And it's, it's an old church tradition to have red doors, but it's an architectural reminder because they symbolize essentially the blood of Christ over us. This architectural reminder of the grace that overlays our lives. When you walk through those doors, you're walking through that story of grace. And that we're not abandoned in our brokenness, but we are invited weekly to feast at this table of welcome and mercy. Last quotation, and then I'll pray. Also a long one. Um, And this is by the 14th or 15th century... um, Thomas Akempis. And it's interesting, Walker, who played piano today, borrowed this book from me, I don't know, three years ago? How long have you had it, Walker? At least. And last Sunday, I was walking back there, and he goes, oh, here's your book. And I was like, oh, that's great, because he has this, he has a whole section, and it's basically a prayer journal, and um, he has a whole section on the communion, so I was like, so good. Okay, so this is fresh. This is fresh off the return of a book. But listen to what he writes. Again, it's a prayer journal. So he's speaking to God. You command men to approach you in faith. And if I wish to have part in you and to receive the food of immortality, if I desire life and glory, come to me, you say, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. O Lord my God, how sweet and loving in the ears of a sinner are these words with which you invite the poor and the needy to the communion of your most holy body. But who am I, O Lord, that I should presume to approach you? The very heaven of heavens cannot contain you, and yet you say, come you all to me. What is this meaning of this kindly invitation? Unaware of any good in me on which I may presume, How shall I dare to come? How shall I invite you into my house who have so often done evil in your sight? The angels and the archangels do you reverence. Saints and holy people stand in awe of you. Yet you say, come you all to me. Unless you yourself had said it, who would believe it to be true? And who would dare approach unless it were your command. Just a wonderful tension 
of I don't belong here, but I belong here. Do you get that? A thoughtful approach to what this meal means.